welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Lorelai and Rory's kung fu style pop culture references. I'm Kyla. <laughs> and I'm Taylor, but you can call me The Wind. Oh, why is that? Is it because you like to drift around with no one able to see you? It's true. I come and I go where I please, and I never stay put. Also, I'm not into commitment, so this could be the last episode of this podcast. You never know. But do you think that you could let me be the wind with you? Oh. oh. The wind beneath your wind? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's try that. That is a new angle. I've never thought about it. Um, great. We sound like a match made in heaven. Hey, this is our episode 111, 111, kind of like in the episode where Emily gets the panic room and she tells <laughs> Lorelai the, the code. I love this scene. Let's play it. Okay, mom, give me the code and I will keep the code safe. Okay, here goes. Are you ready? Pen is poised. One, 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 one. Is that the code it came with? Well, I don't know how to change it. The men were supposed to show me, and now it's the code I'm stuck with. Did you write it down? Barring an aneurysm, I think I'll remember it. Well, factor in an aneurysm and write it down. This is important. Okay, I'm writing it down. One, 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 one. Don't say it out loud. Uh, our football team's so great. They, we won, one, 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 one. Everything's a joke. No, Mom, seriously, the mailman overheard, and I, I gotta get off the phone and chase him down and whack him. If I ever get a panic room, I will make the code one, one, one. One one one, one one one. That's one, a good one, idea. One. <laughs> the more ones you use, the more secure it gets. Felt pretty confident in my recommendation of Kyla. Uh, what pop culture are you wholeheartedly recommending this week? So, uh, Taylor, this this one was a tough one for me. It's been a rough couple of weeks. So I started watching the show on Netflix called The Society. Uh-huh. You know, it's always exciting to find a show on Netflix that's actually good. That's a Netflix original because, you know, they like to promote their own shows, but they're not always that great. And they often feel like they were created by an algorithm. I, no disrespect if you enjoy them, like, please don't not enjoy them. But like sometimes it, like when we watched Ginny and Georgia, it felt a little bit like they were specifically trying to do Gilmore Girls meets another show that you might like. Yeah, for sure. So this one called The Society starts out and all these high schoolers, of course, as you know, the kind of shows I watch, uh, they head out on a field trip and the bus driver then says, like, on the way, oh, there was a mudslide or something. We have to turn around. We'll take you back home. So he takes them back home to the Warner Brothers studio lot, which <laughs> is always great to see. And he drops them off, leaves, and no one is there. It's just the kids. Everyone is gone, and all the roads have been, like, blocked off by woods. Woods have just, like, sprouted up all around them, and they have no idea what happened. And so the whole show is like them creating their own society, and it's very interesting. How would teens do it? The name of the first episode is What Happened. I've got this up on Netflix now. I'm checking it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so, you know, it's ten episodes, so I thought, oh, we'll find out what happens at the end. Well, no, we don't. So I was like, oh, season two. Yeah, Netflix canceled it. So oh, there no. is no season two. You will never know what happens. I will never know what happens. R.I.P. the society. Only take this journey if you're willing to end the show with zero answers. I don't think that sells it for me. But it's also not my cup of tea. So if it were, maybe I'd be in for the ride anyway. And if you liked it, that's a good sign. I trust your recommendations. Well, but... We also know that we like different things, so I would probably never recommend a teen show to you. But you could tell your sister. Yes, she might like it. But knowing her, she'll probably be frustrated. There's no ending. And then that will be her new soapbox. Yeah. She loves a little <laughs> soapbox, especially about pop culture. So now I'm just back to watching Dawson's Creek. 
because Instagram <laughs> has been feeding me Joey and Pacey videos like nonstop. So now I just gotta see it happen again. I guess you are team Pacey then. Yeah, for sure. I have watched approximately the cumulative of maybe two or three episodes with Allie of like little chunks mm-hmm. over the series that add up to three episodes. I am also team Pacey. Dawson, super annoying in the little clips yeah. of him I've seen. Yeah, that Dawson crying meme pretty much sums up his character throughout the series. <laughs> so Taylor, what have you been into? Well, uh, French Dispatch, baby! Award season is back! I have been seeing movies with movie stars in the movie theater, and I'm pumped, and I'm watching things going, That's pro- this is probably going to be on my top ten list. This is probably going to be in my top five. And I'm so excited. It's nice to be back in this season. Actually, it wasn't that long ago because the Oscars were in April this year. But um, I saw The French Dispatch last night. Love, 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 loved it. And (laughs) I just, there's a zillion famous people in it. Go see Timothy Chalamet. Go see Frances McDormand. Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Owen Wilson. It's going to make you say, wow. And so many famous people. It's wonderful. And don't take the children. There is some nudity and language and brief violence. But if you are an adult and feel like you can handle those things, or a soon-to-be adult and feel like you can handle those things, go! It's great! Okay. Is it feel good? Is it drama? It's very funny. It is a, it's kind of an anthology film. It is the story of a news magazine and its final issue, but you're actually Mm. in the stories. So the actors are just in little segments and like there's a story about an artist and his muse and he's in prison. There's a story about a student revolution. There's a story about a chef who saves somebody's life. There's an obituary. There are, like, little news bits. And it is just one of the most, like, life-giving, exuberant, joyful, lovely, beautiful films. And I just had a wonderful, wonderful time. That sounds wonderful. Because I have not been feeling heavy movies lately. So. This is not heavy. I mean, there are things that in a different movie would be heavy, but in a Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. movie are very quirky and funny. Gotcha. Or brief. Yeah. So is it only in theaters right now or is it on stream? To my understanding, yes. Only in theaters right now. Yeah. So that is my recommendation. The French Dispatch. Nice. There's too many great movies. The burden is overwhelming. I'm sinking under the pressure. So Taylor, what do you say we get into piece of pop culture that's you know not that old but not that new the episode of gilmore girls we were talking about today is gilmore girls 519 but i'm a gilmore exclamation point Come which on. first aired <laughs> april 26th 2005 the plot summary is after realizing that casual dating isn't for her Rory tries to break things off with Logan, causing him to agree to see her exclusively. Logan's family isn't happy about the match, despite Rory's breeding. Ugh. (laughs) Jeez. I just hate when people say that. Luke's patience is tried as he takes over as temporary chef at the Dragonfly while pregnant Suki is ordered to bed rest. But Suki has trouble giving up control of her kitchen. Meanwhile, Paris finds out where Doyle has been all weekend. (laughs) Oh, I love this Suki and Luke. I love when they're at each other. Yes. I love how... (laughs) I would hate working with her, but I love how obsessive she is about her kitchen. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny when these poor other cooks are stuck between her and Luke. It's very funny. And then the little rant that Luke does to Lorelai when he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do nothing because we're (laughs) in a relationship. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. I, I, I love that moment, too. Yes. Also, how do you feel about Paris and Doyle? Um, I think they're great together, but this is, I guess it's very Paris and Doyle, this whole episode, <laughs> and how they figure out their relationship. Um, but, yeah, they just are them. And I love that Paris doesn't want to help him as a nurse, even though she's pre-med. Yeah, which, I mean, makes sense for when she decides to go into fertility. So she's not actually <laughs> helping sick people. Or I guess she's not, you know, managing sick people. Yes, she's not at the bedside doing nursing tasks. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But within this, we have Lorelai... Not not enjoying Rory's state of feeling about how she feels like Logan doesn't care about her and getting drunk about it. And so uh, they have this talk the morning after Rory's binge drinking. By the way, thanks for leaving me on the bathroom floor all night. Uh, hey, I tried to get you up. You actually used your foot to stop me. I did? Yes, it was very House of Flying Daggers, but with vomiting. Sorry, I don't remember that. The foot part, the vomiting part, however... So, Taylor, did you have any idea what Lorelai meant? I've heard the title, House of Flying Daggers, and that's everything I knew about the movie until recently it appeared in the news. But we'll talk about that later. And I still did not know very much. Yeah, I had not heard of it. And, in fact, when I did even watch the movie for the reference, I thought it was Lorelai was talking about something completely different. And so then I watched the movie, rewatched the Gilmore Girls episode, and then I got what she was talking about, which I think is pretty funny. So I'm excited <laughs> to talk all about that because I did a unnecessary deep dive. Oh, our final segment, how it fits in the world of Gilmore Girls. So get ready. Okay, I am very curious now as to what that is going to be. <laughs> well, should we uh, kick the door down and just take down this reference? As long as I can throw a few daggers your way, I'm game. Uh, sounds good. <laughs> House of Flying Daggers is a film that came out in 2004. It was directed by Yimu Zhang, and these are not an exhaustive list of credits. However, I'm trying to pick titles that I think will be more familiar to American audiences, because presumably that's the majority of our audience. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear from you if you're not. And um, if someone is listening in China, I would love to know that. That would be cool. To my knowledge, that's not the case. Some of the movies he directed, The Great Wall with your boy, Matt Damon. Ayo. Raise the Red Lantern, which is a movie I just watched not that long ago. It is incredible. That's another recommendation. Raise the Red Lantern. Highly recommend. And then this is just mostly for you and me, Kyla, and whoever gets it in our listenership. Just welcome to the club. He also directed a VeggieTales episode the toy that <laughs> saved christmas oh my goodness i don't remember that specifically but um yeah, do you remember tales. a buzzsaw louie doll that oh all wait, the kids yes, wanted do. it was a toy that came with a buzzsaw in his arm oh. and he just wanted to be a good toy but he was made to destroy things this was directed by the same director as house of flying daggers that's just a fun fact that is fascinating yes this movie stars zi yijang she also starred in memoirs of a geisha the cloverfield paradox godzilla king of the monsters and rush hour 2 among other things also in this film are Takeshi Kaneshiro, Andy Lau, who was also in The Great Wall, and Dan Dan Song. Apologies if I mispronounced any of those. That was not intentional. This movie was nominated for one Oscar for Best Cinematography. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. It was also nominated for nine BAFTAs, so big awards movie. 
It was yeah. number 64 at the worldwide box office that year for a total of $92 million. So, pretty big hit worldwide. Now we know just a smidge of this movie, but I have a question for you. Uh-huh. Did you watch this movie in English? No. Okay, well, good for you, because I rented it from Redbox, and I did not know until after I had rented it that Ooh. it is English dubbed. So I watched the English dubbed version, and there was no way to change it that I could find. So I don't prefer that, but I had already paid mm-hmm. for it, so that's what I watched. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I rented it on Amazon Prime. So you can get it there. So Um, yours was probably in the original Mandarin. It was in the original Mandarin. You know, when I watch movies, I I like to watch them the way the director intended to really experience the film um, in the correct way. (laughs) Look, that's what I wanted to do, too, but I had already paid Uh, for it. And here's the thing. I get a little distracted by when the lips don't match, and then... mm -hmm. The audio track is different. Like, you can just tell it wasn't recorded in the same environment, and so the audio kind of throws me off. But, you know, end of the day, I think I still got what was going on. Because is it really about what they're saying, or is it about what you're looking at? In this movie, it might be more what you're looking at. Not in every movie, but in this movie for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This one specifically I meant. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this movie. Yes! This movie takes place in AD 59. Long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And what? who are our main groups here, Kyla? We've got the government mm-hmm. and the government. The Tang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the House of Flying Daggers, a resistance group, because they're sick and tired of the corruption. And how do we know this? Because it told us at the beginning, in words written out for us. Set the scene. It's basically a Robin Hood group. They steal from the rich and give to the poor. We don't really see that in the movie. (laughs) But that is apparently their MO. We see more of their other MO, which is Flying Daggers. Yeah, we see a lot of those. Yeah. Did you like this movie? Yes, I really did. Okay. I am excited to talk about just, I mean, this is not great podcast content, but it is a beautiful movie. I totally understand why it was nominated for Best Cinematography. And it's also a very fun watch. I would watch it again. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It was lovely. Do you watch many, have you watched many, like, Japanese, Chinese movies? Kung Fu, sword fighting, samurai. I, one of the glaring, not omissions, because I have watched some, but just like one of the glaring things I have not watched a lot of is non-English language films in my life. And that is a thing I'm getting better at. And I think I'm just becoming more open to, because the more you watch, because I you the more you're like, oh, it's not really that weird to read subtitles. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, the cultural difference is not as big as you think it will be. I know that's really silly, and I don't even think, like, I was consciously thinking those things. But just, mm-hmm. like, I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to keep up with all the nuances of, like, culture differences. Or, oh, like, it's more work to read the subtitles, which is so silly. No, so I mean, I I'm get getting it. better at it. Yeah. So, like I said, I watched Raise the Red Lantern not that long ago, which was excellent. I do think also people, it's just becoming more normal with globalization and things Mm -hmm. like Parasite winning Best Picture. So, the bottom line is, I'm working on it. And I've not watched a ton of martial arts movies either. How about you? Yeah, well, and we, I guess we haven't, I haven't talked about this much, like, on this podcast at all, but I watch anime, and I've actually been watching a lot of samurai movies lately, so, yeah. Like, anime samurai movies, or live-action samurai? Both. Okay. Live-action, and there are many animes about samurai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, swordsmanship, so, 
Yeah, which I guess we can talk a little bit more later on how like this fits into that. But I was just kind of curious, like where you are coming at this movie from. I could probably count the true martial arts movies, including this one that I've seen on one hand. Yeah. I have seen Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Shang-Chi, which I realize is like Marvel (laughs) version of martial arts. And something else I'm forgetting question mark yeah so yeah i don't even but remember I'm... what jackie chan movies i've watched oh i've watched the rush hour movies yeah i've watched count those <laughs> count them uh okay but let's get into the miss miss movie specifically yeah so yeah we've got these dueling groups and of course the government has a lot more power and so flying daggers they're uh they learn to be very sneaky and infiltrate the mm-hmm. government and they think that this blind dancer who works at a brothel, right? Yes. It's a very fancy brothel, and I'm sure it has a... High class. <laughs> like, isn't it called the Peony Palace or something? Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful building, and we don't see any of the quote-unquote seedier stuff. It's mostly mm-hmm. just hanging out with beautiful ladies. <laughs> yeah. So they, the government suspects her uh, of being part of the Flying Daggers group secretly. So an officer Specifically, goes, they think mm. she is the blind daughter of the former leader who was just died. Yes. Because it is known he has a blind daughter and this is a blind woman working at this peony palace. So they think it might be her. Apparently there are not many blind people in this... Um, yes don't think about that too hard presumably there was some detective work going on before this movie began that we don't see yeah so they send an officer there to investigate a little which i don't know how much investigating he's really doing in that moment i think he's enjoying his time at the brothel although he is pretending to be drunk yes this is gin Mm -hmm. and then we've got another officer named Leo. And he comes and I forget how this all kind of breaks down. How do they get into the drum, the echo game? Well, May, who is this blind woman, she is doing a dance for Jin, who is an undercover policeman pretending to be a client or I guess actually being a client while also being an undercover (laughs) policeman. And he makes an advance on her that is unwanted. And this calls the attention of Leo and the police who show up. And they're like, we're going to arrest her, even though she's the one being attacked. I think they're just looking for an excuse to arrest her, thinking she's the daughter of that guy. Well, and this also a little bit points to what happens later in the movie, I think. Oh, 100%. (laughs) But we don't know this at the time, that they're looking for her. We're giving you some little background. And he says, we will not arrest you if you beat me at the Echo game. And then they pull out this beautiful set of drums, standing drums, and Leo starts flicking beans Mm-hmm. At the drums, and she is blind, but she is able to hear exactly which drum he hit. And she has these beautiful long sleeves. Yeah. And she smacks the drum with her sleeve in this giant circle. And this is where the movie starts to go into its not realism. <laughs> and yeah. I love it. He starts with one bean. Okay, she hits that. Mm -hmm. Then goes to two, maybe three. 
And then, and she's doing great, jumping around, it's gorgeous. Then he just tosses the bowl of beans and they go everywhere. And she still, you know, is like as if she's hearing where they're all hitting. <laughs> and then just goes nuts on those drums with her sleeves and just hits and dances and... And presumably she hit them in the correct order. I How would anyone know? I don't. I think that's what you're meant to believe. He is amused by this, but it also reveals that she has some skill. And it turns into a sword fight between them. And there is a lot of jumping to unrealistic heights. He runs on top of all of these standing drums. Mm-hmm. And this is where it just like fully goes into its first action sequence where you're like, oh, gravity is optional. here." <laughs> that is a kung fu movie. True kung fu movie. I have never watched a movie like that in kung- with kung fu style. So I was like not expecting that. But it was so cool. I love it. And they are very evenly matched for most of the fight. Also, never mind that she's blind. She's a great fighter. Mm-hmm. And eventually, he does arrest her mm-hmm. and takes her back to jail. And all of the men are just very, very gross talking about her. They just cannot get over how beautiful she is. But they, you know, think they have it all figured out. They tell her, we're going to torture you. Who's the new leader of the House of Flying Daggers? She's saying nothing. And then some guy comes and rescues her. Breaks her out. Knocks over all the guards. And they take off in the woods. And she definitely... It is Jin. Oh, yes. It is Jin, the man who was pretending... Who was a police officer pretending to be a customer. Was a customer. Yeah. And she doesn't, she's like trying to figure out whether or not to trust him. And we're all like, no, he's a police officer. Don't trust him. But you can tell they're kind of, they're interested in each other. Mm-hmm. They're a little flirty flirty. Mm-hmm. But it is revealed eventually that Leo is following not far behind. And Jin is checking in with him, and they're hoping they can follow her to the new hiding place of the House of Flying Daggers. So while they're in the woods, they set up this fake fight, so some other policemen go, and Jin and May get separated for a little bit, so she's fighting some of these guards. He comes back, and she wins. She's good, but he sends arrows to totally knock him down. And they ride off, but then you, the camera comes back and you see they all stand up and he has struck them with his arrows just through their clothes. So he didn't mm-hmm. actually hurt any of them, which pretty impressive because a body is a much bigger target than like the side of someone's shirt. And what's also fun is he shoots these arrows four in a row, but they all arrive at the targets at the same time. Yeah. So he did not shoot four arrows at once. He shot four individual arrows four times and they all reach the same targets at the same place at the same time love it this reminds me of i finished maya and the three have you seen heard about that on netflix no i do not it's an animated movie shout out to jorge gutierrez he made the book of life which is a movie that i I know you love that movie Mm-hmm. And so this is a new series, and there's a archer on there, and, you know, she shoots out a bunch of arrows at once, and then, like, she made the face of a tiger on a wall, and, you know, very skilled. So, anyways, yeah. unrealistic, but very cool to watch. So nice. watch mine, the three, if you haven't. It's great. So, eventually, they do run into other troops that do not know about this subterfuge that Jin and Leo are working on. And they attack, not realizing that Jin is undercover. So he actually has to kill soldiers for real. And Jin and May have been doing this flirty flirt thing on their journey. And at one point he made a move on her, but she stopped him. She didn't trust him. Well, now that they fought together again, she trusts him. So she makes a move on him. But he feels guilty, so mm-hmm. doesn't work out. 
can we uh, just real quick define what move means in this movie? Um, I mean, it start well. I'm curious to hear how you're going to define it. <laughs> okay, um, go ahead. It's basically where you just kind of open your mouth and then just like <laughs> rub it all over the other person's face. <laughs> There's a lot of never like, the mm-hmm. lips. Mostly just everywhere but the lips. You might call it nine. It's not entirely <laughs> wrong to call it nine. But also sometimes the mouth never closes. It's just kind of ah. Cross. That it is was a, weird. It was that is weird. a fair point. Yes. Um. Also, a lot of um almost sex in fields. Yes. There is never, most of this movie is outdoors. A lot of fields and a lot of mouths open with stray leaves nearby. Yeah. Don't understand that, but it is like a beautiful setting. I'll give them that. It is a romantic setting. Just seems like you'd want to at least like lay out a little blanket or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Learn, learn from Lane and Zach. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Doesn't always work Ooh. well outside. Yeah. At least there's no sand. Ooh. That's true. But yeah, that was very distracting for me. <laughs> didn't, those moments didn't really do it for, as far as it didn't uh, make me feel the romance so much because it was just kind of, Okay. Ugh. Okay. What you doing? <laughs> well, let's move on from the romance then. Thank you. Because Thank you. then Jin and Leo meet up secretly again. And Leo basically says, more people are coming for you, and I there's nothing I can do to stop them. Because this is 859 AD, and we do not have a way to communicate effectively <laughs> with people who are not in the same room as us. Today, this would be no problem. But uh, in 859 AD, that's a challenge. Do you think that outside of this storyline, within this world, there are a bunch of other police groups within this government going after the blind women in their cities? Honestly, I would love to see (laughs) the side quill of House of Flying Daggers. Like, where it's the exact same plot in a different town. (laughs) Love it. But it's not the right person. (laughs) She's just, like, going to the grocery store. She's... (laughs) She, they're following her around everywhere. She's just shopping for groceries. She's doing her laundry. Mm-hmm. She's cooking. She's going for a hike just because she loves nature. <laughs> and then they each get a nice, handsome police officer that's trying to woo mm-hmm. them to get information. But then I guess they get married. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's the twist. <laughs> In it for the long, <laughs> long game. Oh, I love it. <sighs> Okay, so Jin is now stuck because soldiers are going to kill him anyway. So he says to Leo, I quit because he has fallen for May and Mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, nobody's going to protect him anyway. And so he's just, he's picking a side. He's going with May in House of Flying Daggers. And he and May continue on their journey and then they are in a bamboo forest. And this amazing fight sequence happens. Yes, it is a sea of green. It got to me a little bit by the end of all those bamboo forest scenes because it was so green. So green. And they are jumping up on the bamboo. May at one point is holding herself up by putting one leg foot against each bamboo stalk next to her on either side of her. Mm -hmm. So it's just like full splits. And they are hitting each other with bamboo. Amazing sound design. Just the whack, whack. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, yeah, it was it was just incredible to watch. They are throwing pieces of cut bamboo, like, daggers at them. Yeah, it's a beautiful sequence. But then the House of Flying Daggers shows up, finally, to get to these people. Mm-hmm. And saves... Jin and May from the soldiers and Jin and May had this lovely moment holding hands when they thought they were going to die. No mm-hmm. open mouths. House of Flying <laughs> Dagger shows up, kills all the soldiers 
And this is where twists happen. So much twisting. Did you see these two twists coming? Because I did not. No, I did not. No. Twist number one, what's that? May is not blind. No. She's not blind. Twist number two. Leo is also part of the House of Flying Daggers. Yes, and he has been undercover for years at this point. Yeah. Did not see those two things coming. No, I didn't at all. And so May was pretending to be blind because she wanted them to think that she was the daughter of the old leader. But she said, yeah, his daughter doesn't actually know, doesn't actually have fighting skills. So that's why I pretend to be her. (laughs) Keep her safe, kind of. Yes. And I also thought that was so funny that it was like, in this movie, they were supposed to be like, well, of course this blind girl can't fight like I can. And I'm like, excuse me, you are playing very fast and loose with the rules of science here. So I had no trouble believing that a blind girl could fight as well as she is. Yeah, did you see Book of Eli? I have seen Book of Eli. It has been a very long time since I've seen it. But you're right, Denzel Washington, all about the fighting. Mm-hmm. So, and he was blind the whole time. Sorry, spoilers. You are correct. Yeah. And then Leo being a part of it, it made sense because that's why he was like, yeah, dude, more people, our guys are coming. Guess you're going to have to kill them all rats. <laughs> he didn't care. Yeah. And it makes sense why he would have sent Jin on this mission in the first place instead of torturing her mm-hmm. for information. Yeah. Then Leo and may have a little rendezvous and i said to myself what is this they've because the house of flying daggers has Mm -hmm. now captured Jin and are planning to execute him and i thought for a second this movie was trying to make me root for team leo and i was like "Uh uh-uh i have been rooting team Jin this whole movie i did not know there were two teams i had to be concerned about Do Mm -hmm. not switch this for me in the middle of the movie. (laughs) Well, then guess what? He's a terrible person and I hate him so much. Yeah. I I didn't mind at first when it was revealed that Leo was part of House of Flying Daggers. I was like, oh my gosh, like he's been waiting for her for years. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, I could could switch. I could do it. Yeah. I didn't like how entitled he was when he was like, I've been waiting for you. And then... Mm. I hate him. Yeah. Yeah. He tries to rape her. And the leader of House of Flying Daggers is like, nope. And sends a dagger flying right into his back. And I wish he would have died right there. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Death to Leo. He is sent on another assignment away from May. Because Mm -hmm. even though he's a terrible person, I guess they can still put him to work and keep him away from her. And then they say, May, you have to go execute Jin. Did they think that was going to work out? (laughs) That's my question. Like, did you think that through? Because it seems like if you had followed it to the logical conclusion, you would know that she would set him free and they would finally have sex in a field. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, Uh... it seems like you know she has developed feelings for him. And it seems like maybe that's a bad idea if that's the goal you want to accomplish, but okay. Yeah. Because guess what happens? She sets him free and they have sex in a field. And we uh, don't see the romance, thank goodness, because who knows how that would have been done with how the kissing, (laughs) quote-unquote kissing, was done. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But... uh, And then... Okay, what ha- I kind of forget what happens next. Oh, yeah, you see the armies are coming. They're going to have a throwdown, all-out showdown between the government and the House of Flying Daggers. Yes. And Jin says, let's run away. Jin's like, if we die, neither of these teams cares. Why don't we just run away and be together? And... That would be wonderful. But she doesn't want to go with them. They have loyalties. 
So he leaves. But she changes her mind and goes after him. And then death to Leo. I hate him so much. Death to Leo. So he's like, if I can't have you, no one will. Still with a dagger in his back. Yeah. And he throws a dagger at May and gets her in the heart. And then around the same time, Jin is like, I got to go back for her. I should never have left. He comes back. She appears to be dead. He and Leo have a major showdown and it begins snowing and it reminds me of Kill Bill. And they're both seriously wounded. And then guess what? May is not dead. Because people don't die easily in this movie. (laughs) No, because it's impossible to believe a blind girl could fight well in this movie. But you can have a knife in your heart and still stand up. Mm -hmm. And there is a dramatic showdown where she pulls out the knife. And tries to throw it at Leo. No. No, she doesn't. That's one of the twists. Oh, wait. Say it again. Maybe I didn't follow then. So, Jin and Leo. How are you not dead yet? Yes. Leo has a dagger ready to throw at Jin. And May's like, if you throw that at him, I will take this dagger out of my heart and throw it at you. And Jin's like, no, if you do that, you'll bleed out. Don't take the dagger out. So Leo goes to throw the dagger, and so May pulls her dagger out and throws it right back. But the twist is, Leo never threw his dagger, and May, instead of aiming to kill Leo, her aim was to stop his dagger from hitting Jin. And so when he flicked out his arm to pretend to throw Mm, the dagger, a drop of blood flies out instead. And so you see May's knife cuts his blood droplet in half, so it would have stopped his knife from hitting Jin. Okay, that makes more sense. I thought she was just dying and had terrible aim. And just missed Leo by a lot. She was only stabbed in the heart. You think she can't I aim know. and stab in the heart? Also, what movie are you watching? Also, the <laughs> fact that she stabbed in the heart, and he's like, no, but if you pull it out, then you'll die. I'm like, what is the science in yeah. this movie? <laughs> uh. And Jin cradles May in his arms, and she dies in this snowy field. And Leo walks away all guilty, alive. And presumably... It doesn't look like he's going to stay alive for long, though. (laughs) Presumably there is a battle between the House of Flying Daggers and the soldiers that we never get to see. Hmm. This movie was not about the government and the House of Flying Daggers. It was about Jin, May, and And I was very sad when May died. I really did not like this ending. I mean, it was beautiful, but... And poetic. Yeah. But I wanted a happier ending. Yeah. Why couldn't Leo just die and then Lynn and May can go off together, be happy? It's like Titanic all over again. <sighs> For real. But in that movie, I liked Leo. No death to Leo. Though there was actual death to Leo in Titanic. Wait. No, Leo would be her fiancé. Oh, I mean Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, (laughs) right. The So, yeah, that's House of Flying Daggers. Yeah, I really liked this movie. Even though it's a sad ending, I would totally watch it again because it is not sad till the very end. And guess what? I will follow it better because here's the thing about me, a problem I have watching movies. (laughs) specifically in movies that involve war and soldiers. When everyone is dressed in the same uniform, I can't tell anyone apart. (laughs) So I did not know that Leo was the one who played the bean game at the beginning. Neither did I! I definitely thought Jin played the bean game. Did not realize 
Jin was the undercover cop because they immediately put Jin in the captain or the guard uniform. I have the same problem in almost every World War II movie. It is all <laughs> these guys in the same uniform and all their defining mm-hmm. features like ears, hair, like necks. Like you uh-huh. can't tell anything because they all look exactly alike. So if anyone else has the same problem in war movies, <laughs> I feel you. Well, now we know. Kyla, how does this movie compare to other martial arts movies? How does it rank for you? Most of the Asian films that I have been watching are samurai. So not so much kung fu, but samurai. But there is still a lot of, like, the same beauty. Because, I mean, Asian culture, Asian architecture it's just beautiful i mean all the designs intricate designs that go into everything Mm -hmm. um and but yeah the sword fighting in this i've been watching some akira kurosawa oh akira kurosawa i have watched several of his films so i have watched more because i've watched ran and seven samurai okay unlike kirk gleason the costume designer for House of Flying Daggers was the same costume designer for Ran. Oh, okay. Yeah, Emmy Wada. So yeah, for Akira Kosawa's movies, I've seen Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and Sanjuro. All of these are between 1950 and 1962. And Seven Samurai is definitely my favorite. And I just, what I love about these is how crazy these sword fights are. And mm-hmm. most of his, like, gravity actually matters. Um, but it's, um, I had the same thought when I started watching some of these movies. It's like, am I going to get it? This is, you know, super old Japan. What do I know about that? But, like, they were so funny. And I immediately connected with them. And that would, I was really surprised by that. And I think it's because of, like, British movie and TV shows like true like British TV shows where you're like, wow, that is British. I do not understand. Those just boop over my head. As well as like mm. Pride and Prejudice, that era of movies. Just don't do it for me. I get real confused. These ones I understand. Um, how do you feel about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Is that like more of a cross like <laughs> feel like you could keep up? Maybe. I haven't seen it, but maybe I could. Um, I watched it again today. That movie's, it's just a delight. <laughs> I understand it's not a great movie, but at the same time, like, it just brings me joy every time I watch it. It's like two of my favorite things, zombie movies and Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Together. Um, but that's what it's all about. So, yeah, and then some of the anime that's like, that I think of for this, like, sword fighting is Samurai Champloo. That's a really cool one where gravity does not matter. And they are fighting, jumping all around like crazy. Um, I really like that one. And um, I just watched Afro Samurai. Okay. And that one's in English. But definitely House of Flying Daggers was a lot less gory than like Afro Samurai and some of these other ones. That was something I noticed. You know, even comparing it to like the samurai movies of, you know, Kill Bill and things we've talked about before, like... There was barely any blood in House of Flying Daggers, which made it more accessible. So I like that. Well, since you brought it up, Kill Bill, did you know that Quentin Tarantino almost made another martial arts movie after seeing House of Flying Daggers because he was so inspired by it? Mm -hmm. He was thinking he had this guy, though, he loves to come up with projects he's going to do. And then he's decided he's only going to do 10 projects, so he does I don't know how he decides what he's going to do. But he was <laughs> going to, after seeing House of Flying Daggers at the 2004 mm-hmm. Cannes Film Festival, he was going to make a movie entirely in Mandarin. <laughs> he was going to make two theatrical cuts of the movie, one with subtitles and another with an out-of-sync English language track. 
So it would look like the old school redubs of the 70s. Oh my. And this, I guess he planned, he thought about doing it, he never made it, but I love that he basically had just made Kill Bill and then saw House of Flying Daggers (laughs) and was like, I gotta make another one. Mm -hmm. So who knows if we'll ever see that one. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he did take from Lady Snowblood for the yes. fight scene in the snow. And this movie had the same thing, final mm-hmm. scene in the snow. Yes. Now, here is a term. Are you familiar with this? Wuxia films? I may be mispronouncing no, that. I saw it in passing during research, but I didn't mm-hmm. get into it. So tell me more. Yes. Well, House of Flying Daggers is a wuxia film. This is spelled W-U-X-I-A. And some of the earliest martial arts movies, like Shanghai Productions in the 1920s, were wuxia films. And the style was that it does not follow the rules of gravity. It is a lot, like, people have compared it more to, like, dancing, like Fred Astaire than it is with actual combat like you might see in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee, where it's a little more realistic in terms of the fighting. Not so much the plot on that one. (laughs) Eventually, people moved away from that. They tried to go more realistic, and then they kind of came back to it later on. That is a very very oversimplified (laughs) version of that journey. A lot of these stories focus on people with basically superhero abilities who, and as we saw in this movie, can do supernatural things and fight in a way that is not actually possible in real life. So this was kind of a return to form in this movie. And um, it sounds like there's kind of more of a mix now where there's more of these realistic films and wuxia films. Mm -hmm. They seem to coexist more. Very cool. Yeah, I think I really enjoy movies and TV shows that use the magical realism, like Jane Mm -hmm. the Virgin, where, you know, uh, photos would talk to her. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that. They used it in uh, Only Murders in the Building. Yeah. I love that because, to me, it's a movie. You know, it's it's meant to entertain, so it does not need to stick, does not need to abide by the rules of nature. So mm-hmm. I love that because it can make it really beautiful and an experience. Well, and one of the reasons that I had heard about House of Flying Daggers more recently and the idea of wuxia films is that wuxia and more realistic Kung Fu fighting coexist in Shang-Chi and Legend of Ten Rings, which just came out in the last few months. Have you seen that movie, Kyla? I have not. Okay. It is very fun, especially since you like Kung Fu movies, I would recommend. And in this movie, this is not really a spoiler. I'll keep it broad for those of you who have not seen it yet. But in the very beginning of the movie, it is more the wuxia magical realism style where you're seeing Mm -hmm. this flashback of how Shang-Chi's parents met. There are a lot of (laughs) there. They meet, have a battle, but it turns into this beautiful dance together. Mm -hmm. Even though they're fighting, they're falling in love kind of like Jin and May. Mm -hmm. And then for most of the movie, we are in the real world with Shang-Chi and these amazing Kung Fu fighters and they are fighting in a more realistic style. But then when Shang-Chi and company, I'll just do that to avoid spoilers, <laughs> yeah, go to another realm, another area that is more magical. I'm keeping this vague. <laughs> it returns to the wuxia magical realism style. So oh, in cool. this movie, it coexists. Yeah. Nice. So one thing that too i noticed was that the lead actress in this the actress who played may she was also in crouching tiger hidden dragon which has come up in gilmore girls that we've talked about covering but hadn't so here's this but i also i watched an interview with her and we mentioned that she was in memoirs of a geisha and she had just been cast in that after house of flying daggers came out 
and it was going to be her first English-speaking film. And so she sometimes responded in English, sometimes responded in Mandarin to the interviewer. So she was still working on her English. But it's crazy that she was about to do, like, her first English-speaking film. That would be really intimidating to, like, know it was going to be a new language for Mm -hmm. you. Um, But I watched an interview about how she prepared for this role. And I thought the answer to what was the most difficult part of this movie would be Um, I don't know, standing in bamboo and like all the fight (laughs) scenes, but that wasn't the case for her. Here's what she said. What was the most difficult? I I was read that that echo dance was unbelievable. Uh, What was the most difficult for you? Bamboo? I I don't know where you could even start. There's so many great things in this movie. For me, I think, I think the most part was when I play blind, I know I can see, I can see Andy's knife just next to me, you know, but I, I need to pretend I didn't see it. I just, sometimes I, I just, you know, the, the, the feeling, I can see it, but I, I try to pretend, but that's hard. To prepare for this role, she spent two months living with a woman who was blind and just like watch and observed how she did, how she looked, and even things like the dancing, like practice to see how she would dance, and thought that was really cool that she did that. Because, yeah, you have these knives coming at you, and you have to, obviously, you know they're not going to stab you. I mean, I would hope those knives are very blunt, but still, like, not being able to react would be so difficult. I agree. I was very impressed, and especially knowing there's acting within acting (laughs) where she is an actress (laughs) pretending to be blind, but her character is also pretending to be blind. That is like an extra layer of, (laughs) I I don't know, just like the, you're acting in your acting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you read this review from Roger Ebert, right? Uh, yes, he did. <laughs> Unless he wrote more than one review. I don't know. This is from 2004. But I I think when I first like watched the movie, the weird romance scenes kind of threw me off and things here and there. But this made me just kind of change how I looked at it. He said, the film is so good to look at and listen to. That, as with some operas, the story is almost beside the point, serving primarily to get us from one spectacular scene to another. Yeah. And so now, like, ever since I read that, I was just like, oh, that movie was so beautiful. Yes. And I misspoke earlier. This, I should have known. Roger Ebert was the one who was comparing Ziyu Zhang to Fred Astaire. Not General Lucia comparison. I just remembered something Roger Ebert said and misattributed it to the wrong person. Of course it was Roger Ebert. But yes, Fred Astaire, dancing. She is elegant. And I love the style. Also, I was very invested in the romance, despite the weird kissing. So I'm sad it didn't work for you. That weird kissing just really messed it up for me. I was very invested Uh. in the flirty flirt. It really worked for me. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor, should we talk about how this fits into the world of Gamble Girls? Yeah. Okay, I'm so ready, Taylor. Okay, tell me about your deep dive, because I have zero idea what that might be. First, we have to reveal, have to get into what this means for Gamble Girls. So, I don't know if you had the same thought process I did, but at first, I thought Lorelai was talking about the whole... Rory freaking out about Logan, getting drunk, like the whole thing. And so I was expecting this love story to somehow mirror them. But maybe you didn't think that at all. But then (laughs) when I went back and watched the actual episode, because I was just reading from the script, I saw that it's Lorelai says it in response to Rory using her foot to push her away. Yeah. Okay, so you knew that right away? Yeah. Although I can... I did make some comparisons in my head to the romance situation, but yes, my thought after watching the movie was like, oh, Rory used violent kung fu moves on Lorelai to keep her away (laughs) from her 
And if someone from House of Flying Daggers was coming at me with their foot, I would go the other direction, too. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to see, like, okay, I remember, you know, different kung fu, using feet. I can see it. Well, let's really check and see how this movie (laughs) uses feet. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, in the first fight with May and Leo... He uses his feet. He walks on top of her. Someone would try to start to walk on top of me. I would leave. (laughs) Good for you. I'm proud of you that you have (laughs) enough self-respect for that. I have boundaries. Next fight scene, prison break scene. Very first move Jin uses is his feet. Kicks him. Walks up on him. Does the splits. Hits two of them at once. He uses his feet like that whole fight. Very important. Is the message of what you're going to say going to be in every fight they use their feet a significant amount? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. I just wanted to make sure I was following the logic here. Mm Mm-hmm. Battle in the forest. When Mei and Jin are fighting Leo's guys. She used her feet. Once they were in the water, that's when she kicked into feet mode. I don't know why. <laughs> um, then we've got attack in the field. Feet. She walked on their shields. You walked on something I was holding. I'd wash it off and also leave. Mm-hmm. Bamboo forest battle. She used her feet. Kicked them. It's almost like feet are an integral part of martial arts. Blood and snow. Final scene. Feet. So, this was the perfect movie to reference. (laughs) Every fight scene, confirmed. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. That is a deep dive, and I appreciate it. (laughs) We'll have all the YouTube links to the different fight scenes, because I had to go back to make sure. Great. I love it. Have another Uh, tumbler. To your point, I do think there is also some romantic comparison. May Mm. wants a commitment from Jin. And Mm. Rory wants a commitment from Logan. And it takes a while to get there. But when push comes to shove, they both commit. When push comes to kick. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And guess what? Much like... The House of Flying Daggers, they don't approve of Jin for May. Logan's family does not approve of Rory. Nor does Lorelai approve of Logan. They are just two lovers fighting the odds. And actually, this is one of the better Logan episodes. So, I'm on Team Rory and Logan in this episode, especially against the Huntsburgers. Yeah, and marriage is brought up just like it is with May and Jin. LOL, I laughed so hard when the House of Flying Daggers <laughs> people were like, okay, Jin, you made this journey. Would you like to marry May? And he's kind of like, ugh. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, yes, I love her. And you can tell he's totally in. Mm-hmm. And then it was a trick, and it makes me sad. Yeah, no marriage for them. But yeah, it escalated quickly. You went on a journey. Would you like to get married? Like, reminds me of Shrek. (laughs) Go on a journey together. We can bring everything back to Shrek on this podcast. And she does kung fu moves. You are correct. Let's convert (laughs) this pod. We are now the Shrek cast. Uh. So, Kyla? So, Taylor? That's our show? That's our show! Check out House of Flying Daggers. Tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. Shoot us an email at soitsashow at gmail.com. Find Mm -hmm. us on Twitter, so it's a show. Instagram, so it's a show. And Tumblr, so it's a show podcast at tumblr.com. Also, sign up for Mm -hmm. our newsletter. Link in the show notes. 
It is a fun little newsletter, and if you sign up, our most recent issue is going to be all about streaming recommendations we have for the month of November. So many of them are pop culture wraps we've covered and Mm -hmm. many things we think that you will enjoy or that the Gilmores would enjoy. So uh, you get some bonus content that you do not get here on the podcast. And Yeah, this newsletter goes beyond the pod and deep into just like planning your pop culture experiences for you. Yes. Highly recommend. So link in the show notes. We made it for you. Until next time, here's a teaser for our next step. I'm not returning the blue sweater again, so don't think about asking. But I want it. I need it. I've already returned the capri pants twice. I've tried to return a couple of your other items that were all sales final, which makes me look retail simple. And this is not the first, but the second time I will have returned the blue sweater. Ooh, the capri pants. Have you taken those back yet? I can't show my face in any stores in New Haven. They think I'm paper mooning them. Oh, she was very cute in paper moon. You're very cute, too.